when or how does a group of strangers become a team? Do teams instantly become high-performing or is there a bit of cha-cha-cha in the process? I'm Karen Avari. And I am Nula Gage. And we are the Safety Collaborators. And our mission? To help people change the way they think about safety. Interesting question, Karen. So when or how does a group of strangers become a team? And I'm sure for those who have children or have ever been involved in children and you go off to the park or you have a picnic and there's a whole lot of other kids playing around, the next thing you look up, kids have disappeared, they've formed together in a little huddle, they're having this conversation and the next thing they've set the boundaries, they've got the rules and they're playing a football game. And they suddenly go from this group of strangers to becoming a team. Nobody's put up their hand and said, all right, kids, come along. We're all going to play football now. It just happens. And it happens so easily. Hmm. Yes, you'll see maybe a little bit of a disagreement. This one wants to be the goalie. That one wants to be able to score goals and show off to all of his mates. Or maybe there's a pretty girl nearby. Something along those lines happens. But eventually the kids just play. And the day seems to just pass by so quickly. If only it could be that easy in our working environments. Exactly. The two words that just popped into my head, if only. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you've had this experience because we work in so many environments. The first day anywhere, the first day on a new rig, the first day with a new client, the first time you're going to catch up with a group of friends and they've invited a couple of new people and you're like, who are you? Why are you in my space? <laughs> Absolutely. Or... Fabulous to meet you. Come on into the space and join us. It makes me realise that how much of this actually plays into the framework of psychological safety that we play with as well. I think of the first day on any job, what do you know? You don't know much at all. You really don't. And they can feel pretty awkward. And then we move into that. You've been there for a little while and you start to feel like, oh, maybe I can make a comment or maybe I can bring my experience or maybe something like that starts to happen. And that's a whole nother set of feelings that we go through. And then we move into, OK, I'm kind of starting to feel like I'm part of this little group here, starting to work together. We start to make some plans together. We start to be able to share ideas and things like that. And then we start to get jobs done together and so on. So that's a kind of a snapshot. That is a lovely snapshot. And it can be helpful to have a bit of a, a model or a view of how does this work. So Karen, do teams instantly become high-performing or is there a chacha in the process and how can we understand that? Short answer, no. <laughs> we don't instantly become high-performing. And I think the cha-cha-cha is a huge component of that bit in the middle. You know, from when we start to come together to the time when we feel like we're actually coming together as a team. You talked about football earlier. Nobody hires a whole bunch of people and says, right, you're going to play top-notch football and all is good to go. It takes years. So if you think of sporting analogies or sporting teams, I know in my sport of sailing, it takes years to become a high-performing racing team. Football teams, and especially in this part of the world where football is very prevalent, there's always argy-bargy and cha-cha-cha going on all through it, you know. Cha-cha-cha <laughs> makes me think of dancing teams, right? It doesn't just happen. 
Right? So even when teams come together, it takes practice. One of the interesting things that I realized many, many years ago when I started working with teams in the field, how little people understand that the phases that we go through when we're trying to build a team is normal. Such a valuable point. But how much of that do we know if we don't know what the phases are? I know that we have both experienced this. When we start to share the framework, which we're going to share in a minute, it actually can be quite life-changing for teams and particularly at the early stages of team development, if you like, because all of a sudden things like the conflict and the disagreement becomes an acceptable part of normal. Let's start by the process that we often use, because I think it's really easy to understand, is the framework by Tuckman. Now, this framework's been around since the early 1960s. Tuckman was an American psychologist, and he really did a lot of work on group development and group norms, and so developed this framework called the Four Stages of Team Development. Now, we often say four stages of team development, which is forming, storming, norming, and performing. But there's actually five. There's also adjourning. Teams also come to an end. Now, we have added complexity in the worlds that we work in is that teams are often changing all the time. It's all very nice if you have the same five people or the same football team or sailing team and you work together for months, years, whatever it is that you need to be together you can then go through the dynamics of these team stages quite nicely and really develop. But we also need to think about what happens when a new person comes in. Let's talk a little bit about that. The four stages that I just mentioned are forming, storming, norming and performing. Sorry, five stages and adjourning. If we think of forming, forming is where a group of people come together they're just a group of people. They are not a team. At this point, nobody really knows what's going on. There's a little bit of uncertainty. We're not sure about purpose. That's kind of that forming state. Who's who in the zoo? Then we go from this, we don't know who's who, who's competent or capable in what, to the storming stage. Yeah. And storming, literally, you can imagine like storm clouds building up in the background because it starts with the team go, okay, I think I'm better at this than you are. So there's a little bit of competition coming in. Mm-hmm. There's the show off of I achieved this on my own. We're all very independent in getting our goals done. And there's that power struggle starts coming in, that f- inability or the fear of speaking up and asking questions and going either I don't know or I'm not 100% sure or am I on the right track. So there can be quite a bit of conflict in the storming stage, especially in in teams where the conflict is avoided. It can become quite unhealthy because Mm. teams kind of get stuck there because nobody really wants to deal with it. But it is a healthy part of team development. You mentioned eye-opener earlier. I think this is often an eye-opener. Indeed. You just triggered something, a thought for me, is I often ask people when we first get together and talk about team development, have you ever experienced a team that is dysfunctional? Dysfunctional teams, so if a team doesn't ever come out of the storming stage, and there are many, then it becomes so unhealthy that people become quite ill. Uh, I've heard stories of people who actually ended up in hospital Mm -hmm. because that's constant walking into this room and into this team or into this office or this work site was so dysfunctional that they never got through that storming stage. So it's a really important component, 
but you really need to work your way through it as well and figure out what the next piece is, is how do you get from storming to norming? Norming is where you start to see agreement. You start to understand how to deal with conflict in a healthy way. So we're talking about healthy dissent. So it's not about disagreeing with everything that everybody says, but there's some norms, there's some rules. You start to have team agreements around how we are going to work together. So team agreements become really important. So there's clarity about roles. And roles and responsibilities can change depending on the job that you're doing, but it's a really important component about building that up and coming to agreements about how decisions are being made. What do we do when there is conflict or healthy dissent? And once we start spending time in there, it's not until we get to that that we can start to become a little more innovative or a little bit more actually invite dissent because that takes us to the next stage. And before we move on to that next stage, in the norming mm. stage is people become confident and vulnerable at the same time to be able to ask questions. So it's no longer, I know, it's all about me. People are capable of saying, hang on, look at our team. I don't send a report out until Katrina has proved it because yeah, exactly. that's her superpower. It's not particularly mm. my superpower. And I'm so grateful that we have someone in the team who has that superpower. And I can now be confident to go, I've done a pretty good job here. And I know she will take it to the next level. Yep. And I can ask for the help and say, hey, Kat, I've done this. Please go have a look. Yep. So I guess there's a, an element of I'm not adverse to people having ego. I think a little bit of ego is a healthy thing. But it does mean that we put some of our ego at the door. You know, we kind of leave it at the door because it is no longer just about me. It's about the we. So it's not about I, it's we. We start to shift to the we. How do we get the best out of this team? And it's only when we start having those conversations that we can start seeing our team efficiency and our team effectiveness moving up. So when you go from forming we're all still in that kind of like polite, we're going to work together as best we can. Storming efficiency might drop off a little bit. And it usually does because we just suddenly become not as effective. Agree. And in norming, it starts picking up. So the efficiency and the effectiveness of our team starts picking up. And then we can start moving towards that place where we call performing, mm. where we know what it is that we're going to achieve. We're all on the same page. We're headed towards the same flag in the ground. We're not going to a flag, and we all end up on different mountains. <laughs> We're going to the flag that we've all agreed on. We can delegate. We can, yeah. you get to that point where you almost can look at your colleague and you almost don't have to speak. You can look at them and they know what's expected mm. and it mm. moves on. Thanks for listening. We are all about helping you. So why not drop us a line at hello at safetycollaborations.com and see what we can do for you. Back to the conversation. So we move from norming to, funny enough, I think, accepted group norms in many ways. And maybe this is also where we bring in sometimes an understanding around unwritten rules. This also might start to move towards team culture starts to develop here as well. You know, we start to move into that team culture. Now, when we talk about the bigger organisation, there are lots of mini team cultures, micro cultures, and a team that you're a part of is one of them. Mm -hmm. Once we get into that high performing stage and before we move into adjourning, 
because a journey is sort of when we come to the end of a completion and that we might have to start again. But in those first four stages, something that we often say with people, because one of the questions we get, well, what happens when a new person comes in? Well, you actually go back. You cycle through this constantly. You know, it could be a new job. It could be a new person. It could be a new environment. The whole team might be moving to a new location. So there's always going to be a little bit of storming going on. But depending on the maturity of the team and the individuals within it and the consistency and the acceptance of team norms and agreements will help go through those cycles more efficiently. And this is where the cha-cha-cha comes in. Absolutely. <laughs> two steps back, one step forward. <laughs> one step forward and two steps back. We keep going. I have no idea how you do the cha-cha-cha, even though I do watch Strictly Come Dancing with passion because I love it. For those who are listening, it's a dance show. It's not X Factor, but anyway, it's good fun. So absolutely. So you're constantly moving around those environments. You mentioned earlier the adjourning stage. And... I've had that introduced to me previously as the mourning phase. Me too, actually, but it's not. Well, there can be a bit of sadness when someone leaves your team, mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's okay to, to feel that bit of, oh, we worked so well together, and now they're no longer going to be a part of it. Who's going to fill that role? Who's going to mm -hmm. fit in? And being conscious of the fact that whomever comes in in the forming stage is not that person. They won't be doing things the same way. They won't be executing in the same way. And being willing to see that person for who they are that is possibly replacing that role and not going, but why don't you do it like Karen did it? Hmm. Karen didn't do it this way. And hmm. that may be a part of the conversation to have and being conscious of that because it will come out in the storming stage. You're going to have to go through it. And being aware of how to have those conversations and what are the questions that maybe will be helpful when a new person comes in and to getting to know them and to understand them. And we've done quite a bit of that work recently with one of our clients where teams change a lot. And we've been able to do those lovely team micro learning sessions where people have really got to know each other and be able to go, okay, that makes sense. And we've left them with the question of when your team changes again, because it probably will, what are you going to do when you go back into the forming stage? What are you going to consider when you go into storming to be able to move into that norming phase and possibly with more understanding than this is a surprise and I don't understand what's going on around me? Exactly. It's really about learning teams, isn't it, in some ways? It, it sort of lends itself towards that that world of how do we set up learning teams. As I was listening to you, I was envisioning lots of team development moments of using games and activities to help embody those changes. And that is a great way to help that phase. When we do work with clients who want to do team development or crew development, they want people to get to know each other before they even go into operation. So that could be over days, months sometimes, you know, waiting, cycle through all the crews so they all get to understand what is the common language that we're going to use as a team? What are the team agreements? How do we make decisions? And what are the expectations? And I think also it's worth considering that we all have a bit of a role to play in the whole forming of a team. So whether it's me coming into an existing team, which is 
more often than not the case. Right? Mm -hmm. So what do you need to be considered of? Don't just think, well, I'm the newbie, so it's everyone else's responsibility. It's not. You also have a role to play in how you fit into that new team that you're joining or into that team that you're joining. In fact, it's very rare that we get the pleasure of either leading a brand new team or creating a new team. It's usually an existing team and, uh, and that can be very challenging at times. It can be challenging being the newbie coming into the team. And when we have a look at how do you work through this process or how do you understand this model? And I'm going to link it to a question I was recently asked when mm -hmm. we introduced this. And the question was, how do you speed this up? Now we know about mm -hmm. it. How do we speed it up? Because our teams are always changing. And in reality, we can't, but we can have healthy conversations to understand where everybody is at. And the leader needs to be conscious of what is their responsibility in each of these stages, because they do, they have a different responsibility in forming. So in forming, the team is dependent on the leader. Give us direction. Where are we going? What is expected? What do I need to do? Okay, they're similar. So what are they doing? Why are we all here? That changes moving into storming, which is where the leader needs to mediate and to focus the team in the correct direction. What do you mean by mediate? To be able to understand where the conflict is coming from. Right. And to be able to then have healthy conversations around that conflict. Because conflict is healthy. It will help us get to our goals. It will help us become vulnerable as a team to be able to speak up and ask. And it's a responsibility for a leader. In fact, if we don't have conflict or healthy dissent, we don't progress. No, we don't. We become stagnant. Nothing would, would change. Yeah, exactly. So in the norming phase, that's where the leader facilitates. They no longer need to give direction because people have got an idea as to where we're going. And mm. it's facilitating daily operations, reporting, that really boring stuff more than anything. And moving into performing, that is the delegating and overseeing. So when you think about a football team, going back to that, in football, you'll see in the norming stage, the team are playing, a, they're playing a good game. They might be winning, but it's not the greatest game, but they're playing together. And the coach is standing on the side, shouting and giving directions and do this, do that, number 11, number nine. But in performing, the team are playing the game and the coach can step back and observe and oversee what is going on and just get together in the huddle. But it doesn't have to be running up and down the side of the field, shouting directions to where everybody needs to go. They become more self-reliant. And when you look at the leader's role in this, the leader's effectiveness, if you like, becomes more apparent as they get more towards their performing stage over time. So yeah, very important role. I mentioned earlier that we were looking at what is an individual's responsibility. So let me wrap that up a little bit. At the forming stage, what can you expect? You can expect confusion about the direction, the purpose, little to no agreement on things. So what does that require? It requires strong directions and guidance. You as an individual also at that forming stage, maybe listen. It will be a very good skill. Have curiosity. Listen and be curious. 
as we move into that storming stage, you can expect to see conflict. There's something I'm reading at the moment says turf battles and increasing clarity around purpose. So we're starting to talk about, well, what are we here to do? What is the direction that we're going in? But you're going to see people coming in, well, in my last job, we did it this way. So we expect that. That's normal. And in fact, I think as an individual, embrace that because that's part of the reason we bring different people from different experiences together into that storming phase. But at some point, you then got to move into now we have agreement around how we're going to do it now and in this team. So in the norming stage, it requires that development of trust. And this is where it starts. You trust that not just we've got each other's back, but there's some trust around reliability, around capacity, around functioning together. And individual roles are emerging. As we said before, from a leader's perspective, the leader then is encouraging that, facilitating that process, if you like. Little less directiveness, but facilitating the ongoing conversations around the norming stage. As we move into the performing, you can expect to see focus. Uh, people are probably working nicely together. They're asking each other for help. You can see productivity on the rise and a lot more efficiency. And that requires an acceptance of delegation so that we all accept our roles and responsibility within this team. It's funny, I've had some recent conversations around roles and responsibilities, and maybe there's some other words that you could think about, and they might be, what do I own as part of this team? What do I have ownership of? And what am I obligated to the team to give and to support? And I think the more that we take ownership and obligation of what we need to bring to that team, the more high-performing we can become. And then, of course, at that adjourning stage, it's a, a natural end. And you start to plan for the next piece or the next project, or it's the end of the team. This happens as well. But you do it with joy. I think that's really important here. <laughs> a little bit of joy. Some recognition, some celebration of what you've achieved. I just loved what you put there about celebration. And don't forget to celebrate along the way. Don't just wait until the adjourning phase because reward what you yeah. want to see and it will continue being repeated. Indeed. Before we move on, I'm going to share an example of when I was doing all of these leadership things now, going through the stages of team development. So a little story. Mm -hmm. What does this look like sometimes when you are trying to help teams experientially work through the stages of team development? And we've recently run quite a few workshops around this. And it's been wonderful to watch as the same team has moved across different experientials over a seven-day period, from day one going, what is all of this and why are we doing it, <laughs> to the activities getting a little tougher every day and a little bit harder. So the first one, it's kind of like, Oh, yeah, no, that was quite easy. We got this as a team. We could see the stages, forming, storming, norming, performing, but we've got this. We've got this. To one of the last experientials being really tough. And I did frame it. It's like, guys, are you ready to up the game here? Because if you say yes, tomorrow is going to be a challenge. We've got this as a team. No problem. And then we put them into the activity and it became utter chaos. There is no other word <laughs> than utter <laughs> chaos. And by the end of the time limit, they had managed to solve 50% of the problem between talking over each other and 
misunderstanding and miscommunicating and jargon being thrown in. And the leader of the team eventually was just standing there watching his team and going, if this was actually in the worksite, I think I would have lost my sense of humor by now. This is chaos. This is utter chaos. And I said to him, and what are you going to do about that? He's like, well, after this, we're all going to go and have coffee and have some team agreements in place and say, right, how are we going to deal with this when we actually have a deep challenge that we have to work with when we're actually in operation. Because if it turns out like this, it's going to be hell. And it was a beautiful example. And the debrief after that was just lovely because this was a very open team. They were completely honest with each other. And two days later, I was with them when we were actually in the operation and they were going, oh, remember when this happened? You see, you see, this is what's going to go on. <laughs> and they could bring back the learning from a very challenging but safe environment where they got to work through the stages. Brilliant. You know what I really love about that? It is making the invisible visible. So it's bringing the unconscious to the conscious mind. And you've given them the skill set to be able to recognize and have an awareness. And I think that is the key power to using this framework, in fact, and helping people work through the process. And I know for a fact, we both love taking people through these phases. It is fun. We have huge amounts of fun. And we don't stop. The tougher it gets, the more learning happens. And it's a, a nice phrase that learning happens in the messiness. Absolutely. And it, it's not about the end result. It's about the journey. Thank you for joining us today. As always, lovely to have that conversation that matters. We'd be really delighted if you share this podcast. It means that we can spread our joy and knowledge with more people. And please do subscribe. And that way you'll get an update each week of what's next. And of course, you can always connect with us on our website, safetycollaborations.com, where you will find the show notes for this episode. And we will add some imagery around the framework and some key bullet points for you to work through. We are easy to find on LinkedIn. Look out for Nola Gage, Karen Avari, and follow our company page, Safety Collaborations. Until next week, stay safe and stay well. Mm -hmm.